Welcome back, everyone, to the front line with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo and Joe Resinello. Oh, you're exactly right, Joe. We work for the man upstairs as you do. You're setting me up quite well. You just gave me an alley-oop. The greatest revolutionary act you can commit right now is to open your mouth and speak the truth. Whether you're an academic or you're a regular guy, we have to be fearless. And once more, dear brothers and sisters, let us go into the breach. Hello again, everyone, and welcome back to the front line with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo, as always, joined by Joe Resinello. And once more, dear brothers and sisters, let us go into the breach on the Veritas Catholic Radio Network. 1350 on your AM dial, 103.9 on your FM dial, spreading the truth of the Catholic faith to the New York City metropolitan area. As always, we ask you to download the app, the Veritas Catholic Radio Network mobile app, so that you could have access to all of our station's content. And if you like what Joe and I do, you can follow us on YouTube at The Frontline with Joe and Joe. And we're building up our Twitter account now that it's a, hopefully, a free speech platform. So you can find us at With Joe and Joe, at With Joe and Joe on Twitter. You can follow us there. And today we're very pleased and honored to be joined by Father Ezra Sullivan. And we're going to be discussing his new book, Alter Christus, Priestly Holiness on Earth and in Eternity, that is out from Sophia Press. Now, some of you may be familiar with Father Sullivan. Having said that, brief bio, he is a Dominican friar and professor of moral theology and bioethics at the Pontifical University of St. Thomas Aquinas, which is the Angelicum in Rome. His doctoral research was under the tutelage of Father Wojcik Gertic, OP, the, the, the theologian of the papal household focused on the intersection of the thought of Thomas Aquinas and biological psychology. Joe, something tells me that that topic might go over my head a little bit. I'm Slightly. just throwing that out there. Um, Ezra is uh, collaborating to develop the Humanity 2.0 project and is frequently invited as a guest on Catholic radio and television. His, his books include Habits and Holiness, Theology and Biopsychology, um, and Heroic Habits, Discovering the Soul's Potential for Greatness, that's out from Tan Books. Father Ezra Sullivan, welcome to the front line with Joe and Joe. Thanks. It's great to be here, Joe and Joe. It's awesome to have you. And with that, I'm going to hand it over to Joe Resinello, and we'll have a great conversation. Father, would you lead us in prayer, please? Absolutely. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In Amen. the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Father, uh, before we get into it, I first want to say, your name is fantastic. I absolutely love it. I swear, when I saw this, I was just like, this is the name of like a saint, Ezra Sullivan. It's it, either that or a heavyweight boxer. It's one yeah. of the two. <laughs> I like it's that. It's phenomenal. <laughs> Absolutely phenomenal. And secondly, I was telling my wife that we were speaking with you today, uh, you being in Rome, and Father Wojcik, I, if I butchered that, please forgive me, but I do know who he is. Um, he, spe he speaks, he's Polish. Um, I've seen him a million times um, yep. on EWTN. He speaks better English than I do. Then again, most do, because I'm from New Jersey. But I was just like, this man <laughs> speaks so elegantly, and he doesn't even speak, like, this isn't his first language I, I i was just like amazing um i just want well, to throw that out there it must have been quite an honor to work with him 
Yes, absolutely. You know, he was actually born in London and he was raised there. His family were political exiles uh, during the uh, the Hitler regime. So so that's why he speaks English so well. In a way, it is his first language. Okay, th- there you go. Because when he would, I actually, that's what I said to my wife. He speaks in the Queen's English and it's yes. beautiful. Like he speaks yeah. beautifully. And I'm always just like, Oh my gosh, this guy speaks so you, better Joe, than I queen, do. You, you use the phrase the Queen's English. You're in danger of being accused of being an elitist. Oh, so I'm be, sorry. Be I'm careful sorry. at the front line with Joe and Joe. You know, <laughs> we won't get canceled from the Veritas Catholic Radio Network, but there's too many people out there that look for things like that, Joe. So let's <laughs> let's try not to trigger anybody over the next hour. Um, <laughs> go ahead, Joe. Let's get started. Father, let's talk about the gift of the priesthood, because clearly it is a gift. It really is. I know in some uh like countries, I know. Mexico, I know in Poland, I've seen this. People kiss the hand of a priest because they bring the, you know, the sacrament to the pe- to the people. But most importantly, it's a gift to the person who is a priest. I think this is a misconception. People sometimes think like, oh, the person's a priest, like they're settling. Wrong. It is a beautiful life and it's a calling, a beautiful, beautiful life. But with all gifts come responsibility. Let's break that down. What are these responsibilities that are basically bestowed on a man who is basically, you know, anointed by God to bring the sacraments to the faithful? Yeah, absolutely. So every sacrament that we receive is a gift. And the gifts that God gives, the the primary goal of every gift that God gives us is so that we can be holy and to help others to be holy as well. So marriage is a gift, and you know you mentioned your wife, so that's a gift for you, so you can become holy in that relationship with your wife. For a priest, when he receives that gift of ordination, it's so he can become holy by the exercise of his holy orders. And this means the gift of being able to celebrate the Mass, be able to hear confessions, and all the other things that priests do, such as blessing things and so on. So So the responsibility then is to live up to the holiness of the Blessed Sacrament, to live up to the holiness conferred in confession. And so his interior life and his exterior manner has to fit in with that gift that he's been given for the good of others. Thank you for that, Father. Ezra Sullivan is joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe. Father, let me ask you this. Um, This is not... I'm not saying this. I mean, it's the impression that we get when we look at the culture. The culture has a very low opinion of Catholic priests, okay? Um, I mean, you see the way Hollywood attacks, uh, the the media attacks Catholic priests relentlessly, okay? How how difficult is it? I mean, because some some priests, I think, bring it upon themselves. And I'm not saying because because Joe uses, you know, in the questions that we were asking you, Joe used the word masculine. I think that 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 kind of gets that's I think people have a misconception of what masculine means. I think masculine means being a man means standing up for the truth. A strong priest is not somebody who's 300 pounds and can bench press, you know, uh, you know, bench press a house. Okay, it's standing up in the face of all these attacks from the culture and standing up for the truth, which is Jesus Christ and the teachings of the Catholic Church. Okay, how I mean, do you see more of a need for that in the priesthood um, in general? I guess that's my long winded way. I know that was kind of muddled, Father. Sorry about that. But that was kind of a long-winded way of asking, do we need more of that in the priesthood? Because to me, it seems some priests are not standing up for the truth the way they ought to be. 
Yeah, yeah. So, so masculinity, of course, is is yeah. It's more than being able to go to the gym and lift a lot of weights. At the same time, priests should not be effeminate, right? So, it's good when women are feminine. That's that's a wonderful thing. That's part of the gift that God gave them. And so, priests need to be able to be real men. Now, what does that look like in different cultures? It's going to be expressed differently. But but part of living out your own manhood is being able to protect people from danger. So a father should protect his children. And likewise, a priest needs to be able to protect his flock. So this is why in the 23rd Psalm, it says that the priest or the shepherd carries the staff. The staff is to keep the wolves away. And if a priest isn't doing that, then he's misunderstanding that role that God has given him. And so in order to protect the sheep that God has given him, he needs to know what the truth is. He has to love that truth. And then he has to be willing to fight for it when it's in danger. Father, you, you, said, that, that, Father. you said it perfectly. It's funny that, that that stick or that staff is, and please correct me if I'm wrong, is the crozier. Am I correct? Right. Yeah. So so the, the shepherd's staff becomes the crozier that the bishops carry. Because I, I in New Jersey, we call that a stick. And, the, and, and that's what I say, the stick, and you swing the stick to protect your flock. And, yeah. and, and, and I'll be honest with you, and I'm glad you said that a couple points. One, like you talked about masculinity, like meaning like a priest has to be like, a, you know, a true man, like a femininity is, is, is not something that, you know, many popes have spoken upon this, including Francis. I think the press sometimes pass that by, but he has spoken on that strongly. Um, as a dad, I have three sons. You know, I should look at a priest, and nobody's perfect, but I should say, do you see that man? That's who you should be like. That man right there. Every dad should be able to say that. And in order to say that, that he has to be like a man. Like, like, mm. like, you know what I'm saying? And I think that sometimes um, isn't the case. Uh, that's the first comment. Um, the second comment is you see a lot of priests who are popular. You see this in social media. And I saw a meme, <clears throat> and a lot of memes sometimes have a truth. And it basically said, don't look to popular priests. Priests that are good are many times hated. Like, because the devil attacks them because they say the truth. And Christ says, you know, if they persecuted me. They're going to persecute you. Speak about that, because I think sometimes we get lost in that, like, oh, the priest, he's the popular. No, sometimes, you know, he he's a good guy. But at the same time, the priest lays it down and he's going to tell you the truth. And sometimes that truth we don't want to hear as a culture. Well, popularity is never a great way to measure somebody's success. You know, Christ, when he's coming into Jerusalem, the crowd is there. They're throwing down their cloaks that he walks over when he's, you know, going into Jerusalem. And then just a couple of days later, right after this uh, wonderful experience of popularity and seeing everybody surrounding him, the same crowd betrays him. So, so popularity for a priest may mean that he's sold out to the culture. He's willing to say whatever pleases them. He wants to tickle their ears. Or it may mean that he's really touching their hearts. You know, Fulton Sheen was very popular in his day, and yet he was a hard hitter. So, so generally speaking, um, some guys, too, are unpopular not because they're saying what, what's true. They're unpopular because they have bad manners or because they're, <laughs> they're losers. And uh, so, so we have to say that neither 
neither popularity nor unpopularity is a great way to know whether or not he's speaking the truth the way he needs to and he's doing his duty. I think we need to see that more. Uh, we should look for that more on the parish level. In other words, if I go to a parish, I'm going to, you know, and and I'll say this, you know, a, a while ago when my wife and I, when we were still living um, on the East Coast, uh, when we moved back, because when we got married, we were in Brooklyn, we moved back to New Jersey, we did some parish shopping, quite frankly. And there was a couple parishes that I wouldn't go back to. All right. And it had to do with, I'm sorry, sappy homilies, um, you know, and 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 irreverence and lack of discipline, and you could see it. That wasn't me being judgmental, Father Ezra Sullivan, joining us at the front line with Joe and Joe. That You could see it. But then you walk into some parishes, and there's just a different feel, and you already know that that pastor has everything going on. That's the popular guy to me. I don't care if the rest of the world knows him. I don't care if he's supporting Donald Trump or he's supporting the left, okay? I, I don't care about any of that. I know that that priest is strong in the place he's supposed to, which is to worry about me, my wife, my family, and the families of those around us, okay? That's the popularity that I want. I want to know when I walk into the parish, we're going to hear spot-on homilies, hear the things that potentially, probably we don't want to hear. But again, the priest has to go against the culture and say, hold it, guys. Here, you know, I'm going to, you know, you might have heard out in the world, but I'm here to tell you, and boom, hit you with a good homily. Those are the uh, reverence. In mass, I'm, I'm sorry, there's a lack of reverence in so many parishes. Okay. Um, so that's what I look for in a priest. When, when, the, yeah. when a priest is really on top, talk about that for a second, Father. The need for that strong priest just on that parish level to kind of, I hate to say it like this, lay down the law a little bit within the parish. I say, look, this is the way it's going to be. We're here to worship Jesus Christ. I'm not here to. I'm not here to make you feel good. We're here to worship Jesus Christ. Um, am I? Am I off at all on that, Father? Well, I, I think that the the very idea is Christ arranged the church so it is not a democracy, and this doesn't mean that there has to be um, like the priest is a prince and he he anything that he says people do rather. Because he's the leader, this means that he needs to help people to follow Christ. So Christ goes in front, the priest follows him, and the people are behind. And that's just the way it is. That's how God arranged the entire structure of the church from the beginning. And so if Christ is leading his apostles, sometimes he has to say to them, who do you think you are? And then he says, who do you think I am? And so Christ is going to challenge them. And likewise, the priest has to challenge people to live up to their baptismal calling. Sometimes uh, people are very interested in a lot of these megachurch preachers. And, um, you know, where I was, I served in a parish in the Midwest, and um, the local megachurch, it was run by a fallen away Catholic. So this guy, he was an executive in a major business. He fell away from the church. He started his own megachurch. He's making way, way more money, something like 300 times the amount of money that Catholic priest makes. This guy was as a mega, as a mega pastor. People would come to him in droves. Tens of thousands of people would come in a year to listen to this guy speak. Why? Because he's saying everything that they want to hear. Oh, and he's giving them free coffee too. Mm. So, so when a priest is leading his people, the stick, according to St. Augustine, when he, uh, when he interprets Psalm 23, he says the stick is sometimes for the bad guy, and sometimes it's, get, it's to make the sheep get back on the trail. And so, so the stick has both of those areas, right? It's not just for the evil ones and you're trying to keep the wolves away. Sometimes the sheep starts to wander away and you don't want it to go fall. And so you have to have to nudge it back onto the trail to keep it in line with the rest of the flock. So practically speaking, this means, you know, I've seen priests that sometimes are too harsh 
on people. And sometimes they, uh, you know, they tighten the screw too much and that's not necessary. But I would say more often it's that priests want to be liked and they want people to praise them. And so they're willing to be weak when they need to be strong. And, and, and that's really one of the things that I've seen, um, you know, in my life is, is good priests who, who, who quite frankly, um, have gotten beaten down by, by the laity, you know, like, uh, they, 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 they preach on something that they don't want to hear. And all of a sudden the archdiocese of Newark is getting a call. Hey, father said that, you know, uh, sodomy is a mortal sin or something along and boom, the priest is getting a phone call and it's, it's really unfortunate. But anyway, father Ezra Sullivan's joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe, his new book, Alter Christus, Priestly holiness on earth and in eternity we encourage you now father i'm assuming i know it's available at sophia institute press okay um i'm sure it's also available on uh, on other sites if you want to yeah, let it's our available yeah it's available on amazon and barnes and noble and i know a lot of small catholic bookshops have it too so you can find it yeah. lots of places our, our audience knows what I'm about to say. Don't buy it on Amazon. Go on Sophia <laughs> Press and support our Catholic publishers, okay? Amazon is not our friend. Joe Restinello. Father, in the book, you talk about the Pelagian temptation, and basically you say why those who overwork are more susceptible to it. Could you kind of uh, speak about that a little bit? Because I think that's an issue I think you see just in general, not just for priests, but for also men, they work too much. You know, uh, now parish priests are spread pretty thin. And uh, talk about that. I think it's important. Yeah, in the fourth century, there was a a British heretic whose name was Pelagius, and essentially he said that you can get to heaven by your own work. That if you do what you need to do, then that'll be sufficient for you to get to heaven. And, and essentially, St. Augustine and then the rest of the church ended up condemning him because ultimately, you cannot have a supernatural effect with your own natural effort. It's impossible. So you can't convert other people just with your own efforts. You cannot go to heaven with your own efforts. If you have a family member who's not following the faith and you know they don't want to go to mass, you should know by now that you cannot get them to go to mass. It's because it has to be conversion. You can try to coerce them. You can try to say, hey, no Christmas presents this year if you don't go to Mass or whatever it is. But that is not sufficient to change their heart. For them to love God, grace has to enter in, and that only comes from God directly. So what we try to do is what we need to do is, is open people's hearts to get them ready to receive the truth so that they can love God. And so basically the Pelagian temptation is— I'm going to work my way into producing all these supernatural effects. And what, what it ends up doing is you just you start to set your horizons lower. Well, I can't convert people. I can't change the world. I can't help people to love God. So, hey, here's my little product. Here's what I did. And so we're just looking at material results. We're looking at the number of clicks we get. We're looking at the number of views or likes or whatever. And like those aren't bad measures. But it's insufficient. What we really want is transformation of hearts so people love Jesus. And that's something only Jesus can do. So we're like mere instruments. But it's really humbling to admit that, that we, we try to think that our own efforts are going to be sufficient to produce this result. And they're not. We can only do it with God's grace. See, I, I wish that that Catholics see the problem. One of the problems, I think, Father Ezra Sullivan joining us at the front line with Joe and Joe is a lot of Catholics. They don't know some of the basics of the faith. And then that, then because of that, we become susceptible to the attacks, not just of atheists, but also of Protestants, 
Okay, and I'm glad you clarified that with 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 the Pelagian temptation, because I get real tired when Catholics are unable. I'm not even saying unwilling, unable because they don't know to go back at the Protestants and say we're not a workspace religion. That heresy was condemned, like you said, Father Ezra Sullivan, 16 centuries ago. You yeah. can't work your way into heaven, so stop lying about the Catholic faith. Or, you know, it's just one example that we don't defend our faith enough against these false attacks. Yeah. Um, and, and I mean, and every Catholic should know that. Every Catholic should know that you cannot do anything outside of the grace of God, okay? Um, you're not going to have any sort of real effect. Yeah, you might be able to go out and make more money. Yeah, you might be able to help your kids get to the gym or something, but you're not really going to help them get to heaven. And you're not right. going to convert, and I know this firsthand, you're not going to convert family members, all right, by just c continually preaching to them. You plant seeds, let the Holy Spirit do the rest, okay? Um, and, and hopefully, like you said, they have a conversion of heart, get back to confession, get back to mass, get back to the Eucharist. So thank you for that, Father Sullivan. Thank you for clarifying the, the idea of working your way into heaven and that Catholics do not believe that whatsoever. Joe Arsenello. Well, I'm, I want to just expand on that a little bit because I fall into that. I think it's pride because, like, you know, we've all been given certain gifts. And I think what happens, and I've read an article uh, about this, about the great reformers of the church, uh, specifically uh, Catherine of Siena, Teresa of Avila, Francis. Um, and, and in the article, basically, it said, like, you're not going to renew the church like you would a corporation. Like a person who is very gifted, like in business or or basically, you know, leadership skills, it's through grace, holiness. The reformers renewed the church because they were holy. And I think we see that on social media. I get frustrated. Like, to your point, I've seen it with my own brother. Because, like, you think you're going to change somebody. You're not. You're simply not. And I think that's so important to keep in your head. It's through holiness. Holiness changes people because it stops traffic when people encounter a holy man or woman. It literally does. Talk about that because I'm sure you have met many people who are holy, being that you're in Rome. Frankly, I have as well, to be honest with you, nuns. Uh, yeah talk about that because that's how we renew the church right and and that's how we renew the world and um it, it's a temptation for priests to say something like to say something to themselves like hey i can build a school i can have a new program look at all these people who are showing up to the program and and the priests can sort of set his mind on these things that aren't bad they're they're good right here's how many people i'm feeding here's um, this new this new institute that I've established or whatever. And, and all those are fine. However, as we all know, when we're looking out in the world and we're saying, what are the problems with the world? You cannot simply pass more laws or start a new institute. You can't just have another NGO and think that that's going to fix things. Because the problem ultimately in all of, in all areas of life, whether in the church or outside of the church, the problem is distance from God. It's sin. And so in order to change the world, you have to bring people to God. But God is the only one who can bring people to heaven, right? So, so really what we're saying is the problem of the world is sin. Jesus is the only solution. 
I am not the solution. I'm part of the problem. And what I need to do is get out of Jesus's way, help people to get close to Christ so their heart is transformed. And then they start to think the right way. They start to love the right way. Then they start to act the right way. So it's only through that transformation that Christ brings that we can actually transform the church or the world at all. And if we think that we can do it simply by our like technocratic means, oh, I just need one more app on the computer. I just need one more technique. We are misunderstanding what the problem and the solution is. Yeah, I, I, Father, would you call that uh, like like when 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 a priest is overwhelmed or or places um overly emphasizes worldly concerns? Is that what we call functionalism? Um, yeah. Where where let's say a priest is just performing certain functions. I'm not saying those those functions are not important. Okay, yeah. making sure the school's running and you know at the parish for the for the kids and the parents. I'm not saying any of that is unimportant. But do you find that that functional that there's an overemphasis on those things that 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 obviously the thing we need? I think you just alluded to it, but maybe you can expand on it a little bit more. This functionalism, I think, gets in the way. Oh, he's a very good administrator. Okay, great, love it. Um, means that the, the money I put in the basket's not going to waste. I love it. Okay, but what about what about the Eucharist? What about what? Why is there only confession a half hour on Saturdays? Like things, yeah, things like yeah. that. Yeah, and, and you know, and part of the problem I'm going to say is the modern world that things are more complex. And so, in your average parish, a priest is running. If it's a small parish, he's running a million dollar company. If it's a large parish, multi-millions with lots of employees, you know, there's, if you have a school, you can have 20 employees, 50 employees. So he's dealing with a very large, complex organization. This isn't St. John Vianney in the fields in France, and it's just him and the church. Okay. So there's a lot more complexity that a priest has to deal with nowadays, undoubtedly. And so the functionalism is when he starts to think about just these material and worldly concerns, and he forgets that all of these are supposed to be aimed toward helping people to know and love God and eventually get to heaven. And so what we want to do is, is utilize those functions for the sake of heaven and not just let them remain at that level. Thank you for that, Father. Joe Racinello. Father, in the book, you you uh, I want to you know basically define some terms, spiritual adultery and Christian stoicism. W what are they? <laughs> well, so so stoicism is is actually more popular now. There are a lot of books about this, and it was the it was basically the Italian way of dealing with their emotions, right? So screaming Italians... and eating. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you know, in the ancient world, I mean, Italians are like they are now, like big emotions, big anger, big sadness, big big happy. We, you know, and so the Stoics, they're like, hey, we need to, we need to calm that down and we need to shut the emotions off. And that's the best way for me to deal with with my emotions is by just like caging them, putting them aside. So sometimes people have this idea in the Christian world too is I don't know how to deal with, you know, my passions and and it's better for me just to try to squelch them, put them in a box and like pretend that that they those are always a problem. So, so Christian, Christian stoicism is not a good solution to having passion. Now, of course, at the same time, you don't want your passions just to run loose and let them take over your life. You're going to make a lot of mistakes if you do that. So Christian stoicism then is, is this misunderstanding that we need to be integrated with our emotions. We need to feel them and, and admit them, and yet still let God's grace come and the mind of Christ rule our emotions. So that's a better option than Christian stoicism. Spiritual adultery is slightly different. This is this is what I understand. Um, it's what I call priests who love something more than the church. 
a priest is supposed to be wedded to the church. You know, when a bishop receives his ring, that's supposed to be like the wedding ring. It means that he's wedded to his diocese. That's supposed to like a, be like a spouse. So the spiritual adultery is when the priest starts to just love worldly things more. He loves the vacation. He loves the praise. And he's not serving his spouse, the church. And so that starts to lead to this distance in his heart. And eventually, he'll also just be distant physically. You know, the priest is never there. He wants to get out as soon as possible. He doesn't make himself available to sacrifice for his family. So, so both of these things can be major problems, in, 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 especially in a priest's life, but of course, in anybody's life. Thank you for that. We're going to pick up on that, Father. Um, I have a question for you, but let's uh, let's take a quick break here uh, at the Veritas Catholic Radio Network. If you're just joining us, uh, you're listening to The Frontline with Joe and Joe, Joe Pasillo and Joe Rosinello. We're way, way in the breach. We're speaking with Father Ezra Sullivan. We're discussing his new book, Out from Sophia Press. Please buy it at Sophia Press, Alter Christus, Priestly Holiness on Earth and in eternity. So we have another great segment coming up with Father Ezra Sullivan. Stick around. We'll be right back. Catholic Radio works, and now we have it here in Connecticut and New York. It's been seen around the country that there's no better tool for evangelization. Where there's Catholic Radio, the folks who listen deepen their faith. Families are strengthened. Parishes and communities flourish. So let people know you're listening to Veritas Tell your friends to tune in, and let's make an impact here for Jesus and his church. This is Steve Lee for Veritas Catholic Network. Welcome back, everyone, to The Frontline with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo, Joe Resinello. We are way in the breach with Father Ezra Sullivan. We're discussing his new book, Alter Christus, Priestly Holiness on Earth and in Eternity, from Sophia Press. Please buy it at the publisher. Father, I try to talk to a lot of people. I, I try not in my life to wear my Catholicism on my sleeve, so to speak, but everybody knows I'm Catholic, okay? Um, it's funny, uh, for all the attacks that, that we can experience as Catholics, it seems that I, I have, I'm not looking for it, believe me when I tell you, um, but a certain amount of respect. People respect my Catholicism. I think, because it goes along with what Joe says, we're trying our best to live good Catholic lives, okay? Um, we really are, um, in our own ways. Joe has his ways, I have mine. Having said that, I talk to a lot of people who, who, for some reason, feel the need to tell me why they left the church. And one of the primary reasons is one of them is that that, that functionalism you just mentioned. They see the priest worried about everything but their, their spiritual needs, okay, not being present, perhaps scandal, all right? You know, sometimes in parishes, um, the, the parishioners know when the priest might be doing something he ought not be doing. There's a lot of things that go on. And I find it sometimes I'm not, it's not easy to defend, Father. I'm not, I'm not going to lie. And I try to tell them about corruption. I try to say, well, the corruption in the church, like every other institution, the corruption in the church goes back to Judas. This is not new. To, I try to explain all those things that we should know as Catholics. Father, I got to be honest with you. When the priest falls short, and, 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 and you know, again, we've all sinned in the eyes of God. But when the priest falls short, it has devastating effects. And people leave. It's a shame. People leave. And yes, I do point the finger at, at many of those priests. You need to be tending to that person, okay? Let's talk about that, Father, a little bit, because I think, you know, I've met so many people in my life who say they left the church because what they perceive to be corruption, both in the church on a general level, but also in the priesthood on the parish level. Yeah, so I would say on the one hand, obviously, if a man has committed grave sins and people are scandalized by that, that is on his shoulders, 
at the same time, how many people would say, well, um, I'm getting divorced because I've seen, um, you know, a guy down the street beat his wife. Like, it, you know, that doesn't make a lot of sense. So, so part of the idea is because the priest is supposed to be like Christ and he's bringing the sacraments, then it's more hurtful to them. And, and, and they don't know how to psychologically separate that justifiable, perhaps, emotional wound or the sadness that comes along, or just the sense of strange, you know, this this sort of anger at at what this guy is up to. They don't know how to separate that from the faith, and 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 the, the fact is that for many people, it, these things are all mixed together. They have a personal relationship with a particular priest, or they have you know nostalgic memories from their childhood, or they're in the faith because of their family, or whatever it is, and and they don't have a clear enough sense that the faith comes from God. And this is a gift that will last for centuries beyond us. And so once you have that strong sense of faith, then whatever the particular people are up to, whether from the highest level all the way down to the local parish level, you are not going to be affected because you say, my faith is not dependent on this individual or that individual. And, and, and so having that clear sense of faith, though, well, that's a gift. But part of it is purifying, you know, in the past few years, I mean, you know, like past decade or so, like my faith has been purified a lot in seeing things go on in the church, being here in Rome. I mean, I have seen and understood things that I never saw or understood before. And the fact is, what it has helped me to do is to clarify, I am here because Christ gave me the church and not because any particular individual who himself is going to die and face the judgment seat of God. So, so I think it's unfortunate that people leave the church because of bad priests, and yet at the same time, it shows that there was, there was something missing in their own adherence to Christ directly. I, I, I've had a number of people say to me, um, Father, if it weren't for the Blessed Sacrament, I would not be in the church. And, and that shows that they have real faith in what Christ gave us. And that, and that helps to sort of distinguish from people who are, they don't really understand even their own relationship with Christ in the Blessed Sacrament. Yeah, I, I will say, I'm going to hand it over to Joe, Father Ezra Sullivan. I will say that for myself, I know I could speak for Joe uh, on this. Um, if, I, if the thought ever crossed my mind to, to, to leave the church, the first thing that pops into my mind is, where am I going? There, 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 I, I, may, I mean, where am I going to get the Eucharist from? You know, if, yeah. if, I, if I, even if I just read the Bible, Jesus says, if you, if you don't eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life in you. Where am I getting it from if not from the Catholic Church? Regardless of the disposition of the priest, I need to believe that, that that's where life is. Um, so I'm glad you, I, uh, you know, clarified that for me, Father. With uh, Joe Racinello, where do you want to go? And also just to piggyback on where would you go to confession? I mean, what a gift yeah. confession yeah. is. So my wife and I, we go probably twice a month, and I, I leave confession, which I think is the secret to life. We, that's a conversation, Father, for another day. Frequent confession, frequent reception of the Eucharist and the rosary every day. You do those three things, you'll, you'll get to heaven. You'll get to heaven, period, end of story. Um, but I want to talk about Mother Teresa for a moment, a very holy woman, unarguably. She was asked when she was old, what will happen to your order? Will it fall apart? What do you suggest that your sisters do after you're gone? She said two things. Adhere to poverty and make the Blessed Sacrament the focus of your life. 
Why adhere to poverty? And I think this applies to laymen alike, because as Catholics, we're not to live ostentatious lives. We're to basically take care of what we got to take care of, take care of our kids, provide what is needed, and then make our home in heaven. I think sometimes wealth can blind us, both if you're a priest or you're a layman, and focus on the Eucharist. Because to be honest with you, we're made of flesh and blood. And no matter how many gifts you have, the devil is smarter and shrewder. And he'll get in there and he'll screw you up. And I think the world, when we have too much of that, screws us up, priest or layman alike. And if we're not focused on the sacrament, which is the source and summit of all grace, then you hit it right on the head. I'll be honest with you. I'm not just like, like giving you compliments. You get it. Uh, like straight up. It's grace. God is everything. We are nothing without God. Talk about Mother Teresa's focus, because I think she gets it. That's why she has ST in front of her name. That's the goal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the first of all, the, the, the thing about poverty is it helps to reset your values, and it shows that you, your priorities. So, of course, for laymen, um, it's not bad for laymen to have wealth. I mean, some of the wealth of laymen helped to build churches, the, the wonderful paintings that we have, the statues here in Rome. You see where wealthy, powerful laymen were able to do a lot of good for the for the rest of the world because of this art that they were able to provide. So, so that's not bad. But notice they were using it for the glory of God and not for the glory of themselves. And, and, and that's also another element of using wealth well. But for religious, when we make a vow of poverty, part of the idea is to say, I need to reset my way of thinking because too often material things, they're distracting, and even worse, they can start to pull my heart away from God and away from helping and loving other people. And so what happens then is by focusing on poverty, Mother Teresa both is helping her sisters to fulfill like their own spiritual work because they're working with the poorest of the poor. So, you know, if, if they if they're walking around with, you know, really expensive things, you know, clothing and so on, then they're they're giving a counter witness. And then on the other hand, it also it also helps their hearts to be free from being tied down to these things. Um, St. John of the Cross has this wonderful saying. He says, whether a bird is tied down with a huge chain or with a teeny little thread, it still can't fly. And that's that's what the gift of poverty is supposed to do, is to cut those chains of our attachment to material goods. And then, of course, the Blessed Sacrament is Christ himself. And Mother Teresa always insisted. She says, we are not an NGO. We are not just doing government help. She says, we are here for the salvation of souls. And so being able to focus on Christ first helps then the sisters to realize that what they're doing is preparing the poor dying people for heaven. It's not just, well, we want to give them you know, a, nice, a nice meal, a bed to rest in. Yes, they do want to give that, but they also care about their eternal souls. And so by being able to focus on the spiritual gifts that come through the Eucharist, they're able then to give those gifts back to the people. One thing I'm glad you mentioned, Father Ezra Sullivan, joining us at the front line with Joe and Joe, is when you talked about Catholics who, who, who possess wealth, okay? And I always think in my mind, well, you know, I always think of Jesus and the, with, the, uh, with the rich man. And, and people abuse that or, or misinterpret that all the time to suggest that wealth in and of itself is evil. 
Okay, uh, a lot of I'm sorry, a lot of leftists like to use that argument that Jesus was opposed to wealth. And I'm glad you clarified that what Jesus was telling this man, because Jesus tells him, he says, you've done well. He says, I followed the commandments since I was a little kid. This is what I've done. Jesus says himself, you've done well. Now go and give everything away and follow me. It's what you just described, Father Ezra Sullivan. It's what's tugging at your heart. Where do you want your heart? Is it with your wealth or is it with Christ? I know plenty of, I've met and heard of plenty of wealthy Catholics that are very holy people. I'm not putting them up on a spot. They give and give and give till it hurts. Okay, they have wealth. They use it the right way. All right, and I'm glad, I'm glad you, um, you, you brought that up. About, it really comes down to what's in your heart. Where does your treasure lie? I do want to ask you this. We're always, of course, because we're on Radio Father, we're always limited for time, and we're trying to get in as many good questions for you as we can. Uh, yeah. What is the Messiah complex? And uh, after having described that for our audience here, Father, uh, at the Veritas Catholic Network, what are the, the two virtues um, that would, you know, would, would help in combating the Messiah complex? Yeah, I, I, I realized that I had to talk about the Messiah complex in Alter Christus because, on the one hand, the priest is supposed to be an extension of Christ on earth. And so, oh, well, he, he now is supposed to be living out the, the life of Christ, bringing Christ to the people. And yet, <laughs> the, the Messiah complex starts to think that it's the priest who is saving the people as if he's the one and it's his efforts that he this notion is if he's the one who's all knowing or he is all powerful he starts to have these grandiose fantasies and he overlooks his own sins his imperfections his mediocrity and fragility he, he just pretends that he is christ and and that is a huge problem because he starts to think that his responsibility then is to pretend to be Jesus because everybody ultimately, like deeply interiorly, you know that you're not. And so then he, he feels like he has to live this sort of false version of himself in order to keep up the prestige of the Messiah complex. So of course, one, one way to combat this is simply humility. St. Bernard Clairvaux, he says, the first step on your way to the ladder of heaven is humility. If you don't, if you don't go that first step, you're never going to make it. And, and I know some people are like, well, I, I have all these other virtues, but not humility. St. Bernard would say, no, you don't. <laughs> <laughs> so that's, that's I'm glad course. you brought that up, actually, because um, yeah. humility, I was just going to talk about St. John Vianney. He was a humble man. Um, it's the foundational virtue. I've, I've read that as well. And it's attractive. No one likes a person that wears their success on their sleeve, so to speak. Humility, whether you're a priest or whether you're a layman, humble people are, they're attractive to others. But here's the thing, Father, and this is what I kind of want to explore with it. Mother Teresa, I'll reference her again, said, you learn humility through humiliation. You see, mm. humility is one of those things um, that you have to feel. Like you're not going to read a book. It's like I have five kids and I live in a small house. And I said to my wife, and a priest actually said this to me, uh, Father Lewis, who actually inspired us to start the show, your house is a gift. And I believe that because my kids are going to learn to share. We have one TV. They're going to learn. They're not going to read that in the book. They're going to learn that in my house. And humility is one of those things. You have to feel humility. 
you know, and and that's how, the only way you're really going to be humble. Talk about that because I think because sometimes, like as, I'll just use it like as a Catholic, you know, husband and dad. There's platitudes. We all know the platitudes. We read the books. You know what I mean? Like you read yours, I read mine. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. But that doesn't mean I do them well. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like like you got to feel them. Talk about that with humility because I think we all could get lost in that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So no, this is great because I mean, I, I've met some priests who um, I think they thought that humility meant being weak or they thought that humility meant being having a lack of confidence or being humble meant being indecisive, but that is not what humility is, right? So you can be humble and still confident. You can be humble and still lead the flock. So how do you combine strength and humility? That's that's the tricky thing. And, and humiliation as part of it is being able to accept as part of God's providence some of the things about life that are painful. Or when people point out your flaws, your faults, being able to accept that humility and say, yeah, that is my flaw. And you know what? And it turns out that that humility becomes a strength because now you're able to work on your flaw. You're able to overcome that with a lot of work, with a lot of help. You know, and I mean, like they say that spouses are the, are the greatest gift of humility to each other because you see each other up close all the time and you're seeing that. And the fact is for priests, the people that humble us the most are the people in the parish. I remember there was a guy who after mass, you know, we're shaking hands with people. He would stand outside and he would always grade us on our homilies. And, <laughs> and he's like, father, today you got a C plus. And, uh, <laughs> you know, man, I did not like that guy. Like he, he just always, but I, but I, but I tell you what, you know, cause I thought, well, he's kind of, kind of being proud himself. Well, one day, um, I got a phone call and, and oh, can you go to this address? Somebody needs to be anointed. I show up to his house. It's this guy. And his wife had called. He was really sick. He's close to death. And now I'm anointing him. And and he he's in a humble position. He was a strong guy, you know, just kind of a loud mouth. And and now he has to accept the grace from a priest. And and I was and I was thinking about how God used each other to humble each other, right? He used him to humble me. He's using me now to help him to be humble and accept Christ. So so ultimately, then we have to realize that avoiding the trap of humility is to accept ourselves as God made us, but also not to accept our flaws, right? So I have to admit my flaws, but then try to move beyond them. It's not, it's not, oh, well, I'm, I just can't help the fact that I'm a liar. I just can't help the fact that I use bad words. No, that's not being humble. That's just, that's just being lazy. Right. Let me, uh, let me ask you this, Father Ezra Sullivan. I, I got to say, uh, the reason, one of the reasons why, uh, for those of you listening to us on radio, uh, you're not you're not seeing me smile right now is because my wife is in earshot of this conversation. <laughs> OK, and and she's given me the business on humility. Uh, and it's, it's kind of her way of saying, are you listening to what father's saying uh, about humbling yourself? So thanks for that. Father Ezra Sullivan joining us at the front line <laughs> with Joe and Joe. Uh, we're discussing father's new book, Alter Christus, Priestly Holiness on Earth and in Eternity. That's out from Sophia Press. Father, let's for a second talk about uh eternity for a priest now we know as catholics uh there's heaven and there's hell okay um and you know we believe in a just god if you if you end up in hell you're not there unjustly um what why is it different for for those who've received you know holy orders okay uh both on on the positive side 
uh, and what their state of existence is in heaven, and also on the negative, which is their punishment in hell uh, as a priest. Can you talk about that a little bit? So, so first we have to clarify that just because a man is ordained to do God's work doesn't mean that he's not subject to God's justice. In fact, he is going to be more strictly judged. And, and just as in the parable, Christ gives one person one talent, another person two or five. So likewise, the priest who has been given the gift of ordination, he'll be judged not only as he's fulfilling his baptismal commitments, but also how he's feeling his ordination. So, so it's really clear then that there's a greater opportunity for good, but there's also a greater opportunity for evil. And, you know, as the saying goes, the higher you go, the easier it is to fall and the, and the further you fall. So, so basically when the priest comes and stands before the judgment seat of God, then he will see all the ways in which he has been exercising his priesthood. Has he been celebrating the mass? reverently? Has he been hearing the people's confessions and giving good advice? Has he been patient with the people? Has he been sacrificial, giving of himself? Has the priest been devout in his own private prayers? Has he been faithful to all those commitments that he made at the time of his ordination that are supposed to help us? So, you know, like we're required to pray the the liturgy of the hours. As a Dominican, I'm supposed to meditate. I have to pray the, the rosary. I'm praying in common. All of those things will be analyzed and they will be judged. And the priest who has been faithful and who has been found that he did as much as that as he could, he's cooperated with divine grace, then the, then the gifts will be proportionately greater because God has said, you, you welcomed me on earth, I welcome you in heaven. And, and what a joy it will be for the priest who's able to finally see God face to face, the one he held in his hands when he celebrated the Holy Eucharist. When he called upon the saints, when he celebrated all the feast days of all the great saints in the calendar, he'll see each one of them. He says, I remember you at least once a year. <laughs> It'll be a great thing. What, what a joy. But then on the other hand, the priest who has not been faithful, the priest who has been wicked, and especially the ones who are obstinate and did, and did not repent. Um, St. Bridget of Sweden, you know, she was a married woman. She was a widow. And then she made a pilgrimage. She walked from Sweden all the way down to Rome ended up coming to Rome, met, met with the Pope. She founded a, a religious order in her widowhood, and it became eventually the Brigentine nuns. So she was given extraordinary graces, among which she had many, many visions of heaven. And a lot of her visions were of bad priests going to hell. <laughs> it is frightening. So um, in, in, in researching St. Bridget of Sweden, I, I saw some of these, and, and she identifies how this priest, she says, she says, in some ways, the priest who is wicked now within the church is worse than Judas. She says, because Judas was with Jesus, but there was no church to help him out. The priest has had the church continually to help him out. She, and she says, Judas betrayed Jesus one time, and that was all. Some priests betray Jesus over and over again. And she says, Judas, he was tempted greatly by Satan because Satan knew it was at stake. Whereas the priest, he's now, he's tempted by his own desires. So, so there's, so in some ways, the bad priest, and even worse, the bad bishop, and there have been wicked popes, that they, they have even more on their shoulders in a certain respect. So those priests will continually, if they do not repent in hell, see what they've done 
see the gift that they rejected and realize all the opportunities they had to do good. And, and it will burn them up, literally. They will be so angry at themselves and angry at God that forever they're going to sort of stew in this anger and, and try to reach out and, and, if they could, to harm God again. It sounds like a Jet fan, Father. We stew yeah. in our anger because the yeah. Jets are horrible <laughs> and they'll never get better. It's well, sort of not bad hell. this year. I'm trying to break that family curse so my son does not follow the Jets. <laughs> Father, let me ask you this. Um, and, and we only have a few minutes. I know Joe wants to at least get to one more question, but just very quick comment on this. But isn't really, isn't, Aside from any physical torment, any physical punishment, we do believe in the resurrection of the body, no question about it. Isn't the central pain of hell regret that you see for all of us, that no. you see what you could have had? No, no, no. The, the greatest pain is separation from God. God is the greatest good. He's absolutely loving and beautiful, and he's all true, and you're separated from that goodness forever. That's the greatest, that's the greatest pain. Regret comes second after that. Okay. Thank you for that, Father. Um, and people need to know that. I, I think, you know, we, again, we get attacked a lot because yes, we do believe in, you know, the resurrection of the body and there's potential, you know, physical pain in hell, but it's that, but it's what you just described, the separation from God and the, the, I, what I guess where I was going, the accompanying, accompanying regret, yeah. which is going to lead to more and more anger as, as you described. Thank you, yeah. Father Ezra Sullivan. Uh, joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe, please go out and buy his book that's available at Sophia Press, Alter Christus, Priestly Holiness on Earth and in Eternity. Joe Racinello, um, we probably have about, I don't know, a few minutes left. Uh, time for one more question for Father. Father, a lot of people blame the church for its problems, but ultimately, I'm going to turn the tables because they were turned on me by a good nun. The problem a lot of times is in the family. Families are not making Christ the center. Um, they're not having children, as the church asks us to. And that is the groundwork for priests and vocations. God is calling. He's always calling. He's called from the beginning, and he's still calling now. Basically, in many places, particularly in America, there is a vocation crisis people don't even consider being a priest they don't sadly you know like we interviewed a gentleman in rome now I, I i wish i could remember his name he's in the seminary um for people later in life he he was like a gifted writer wrote for the new york times and he said something he's like many times our best aren't becoming priests now i'm not saying god calls all people but that begins in the home Families yeah. have to take things serious. And to be truthful with you, I don't think we are. Like, I, I mean, I have eyes. Do you know what I'm saying? It's not yeah. the focus. You're from California. I'm from New Jersey. You, we, we grew up. We had friends. You know what I mean? Like, you know the deal. Talk about that. Because, it, you know, before we start pointing fingers, um, and there are issues, and there are legitimate concerns, and there are legitimate conversations, that starts in the house. Are you playing your family rosary, as Our Lady said at Fatima? Do you take your kids to church at the minimum? Are you instructing yeah. them in the truths? Talk about it. 
Yeah, absolutely. The, the the family is the foundation of society. It's the foundation of the church. And, and and it's reciprocal, right? So you have bad priests and then the and then the family is less adherent to the faith. Maybe they don't go as often because they want to avoid that guy. And so then the, the next generation of the family, then they're not passing on the faith. And so they don't have children. So it, it works cyclically. On the other hand, if you have a good priest, you can have better families, and then better families mean more opportunities for good priests. So, so they both are mutually reinforcing, whether in the spiral downwards or in the spiral upwards, good priests and good families work together, either for the better good or for the greater evil. So I would say it's it's both. Now, in, in a certain way, the family is the foundation, because if you don't have children, you're not going to have anything else. And so in, in a certain respect, like, yeah, that's where it starts. Yeah, and and we've we've you know in, in in the West, in Europe, in America, big families. I mean, Catholics are are just as guilty of this as anybody else. Oh, yeah. I can only have one point five kids. Who told you that? Right, right. The culture told you that. Joe Rossinello's grandmother had seventeen kids, lost five of them. My grandmother, my my paternal grandmother, had eight children. They didn't have money. Yeah, they didn't get the college degree and then plant. They they were open to life. They had yeah. big families. Every one of my my father and all his siblings all had the opportunity to go to school from two poor Italian immigrants. Don't give me this nonsense. You, and this is one thing, Father, I'd love for you to comment with about a minute left. We are very selfish in our culture, especially when it comes to children, okay, and not having them. Talk about that a little bit, Father, and then we got to get out of here. Oh, absolutely. I would say the, the use of contraceptives, abortion— the hedonism that comes from people having sex outside of marriage leads to worse families or smaller families or broken families. Furthermore, you have a lot of people who are just frankly materialist that they don't want to have a third child because they want to go on vacation because they want to have the bigger house. Houses are bigger with fewer people in them now. Why? Well, because people want to live in their larger palaces rather than having more children. So so the, so the, the order of priorities is totally wrong. And what's ironic is when God is at the top and you have bigger families, people always report being happier. Why? Because at least you'll find one person in that big family you like. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> there you go. Father Ezra Sullivan, thank you so much for joining us here at the Frontline with Joe and Joe. Uh, for all of you out there, his new book, Alter Christus, Priestly Holiness on Earth and in Eternity. You could purchase that at Sophia Press, also at Amazon, but buy it at Sophia Press. Uh, Father, you're welcome back on this show anytime. We're really, really happy that you decided to come on and talk about your book. Thank you so much. Hey, thanks for having me. God bless you guys. Thank you, and God bless you. And thank you all out there for joining us on the Veritas Catholic Radio Network, 1350 on your AM dial, 103.9 on your FM dial, spreading the truth of the Catholic faith as best we could, Joe and I. Uh, if you like what we do, you can follow us on YouTube at The Frontline with Joe and Joe. And we're building up our Twitter account at with Joe and Joe, at with Joe and Joe. On Twitter, please follow us there. And remember, until the...